Welcome to the Sound and Vision Podcast. I'm Rachel Stevens. So recently I had the immense pleasure of talking with Doris Anahi Munoz about her experience as a Mexican-American in the music industry. Doris is a singer-songwriter out of Los Angeles. She is also the subject of the new documentary, Mija. The film follows Doris as she starts her career in music as a manager and grapples with the guilt of being the first American-born member of her family. Miha, the title of the film, comes from the first company Doris ever started, called Miha Management. But the word Miha also translates directly to my daughter and is used as a term of endearment. It also got me thinking about Doris's birth order. You have such a oldest sibling vibe. Like you have like this <laughs> oldest daughter vibe. Um, and that definitely shows in your business and your management. What do you think that that comes from? Oh my goodness. I think it comes from being like the only daughter in my family, you know, like I have two older brothers, but, um, you know, I think anyone who's specifically in like a Mexican American household can relate to like the daughters really hold it down, you know, (laughs) you know, we're, we're expected to hold these responsibilities to, to hold it down and take care of others from such a young age. And so, um, I think because of growing in a mixed status family and, being well aware of of what my citizenship status granted me in this country, it really thrusts a lot of responsibility my way from a very young age. And so um, this isn't the first time I've heard that I give eldest sibling energy for sure, uh, but I think it just comes with the territory. <laughs> yeah. And you are, so you are the youngest in your family and you are the only one who was uh, born in the United States. Where is the rest of your family from and, and how did they end up in the states i mean yeah i mean both of my parents well, i mean both my parents and both of my brothers were born in mexico and um like different parts of, of mexico but it was really like my whole mom's side of the family immigrated to the states in the era of amnesty right um and that is what allowed them to make the move uh, my parents had to stay back to take care of my grandma who was sick and they missed that window. And so my mom really, you know, wanted to raise her family with the rest of her family. And so they made the move in 89. But yeah, I mean, my my parents told my brothers that they were going to Disneyland and that they need to, um, you know, behave um, in order for them to still go to Disneyland. So behave meant just like stay quiet, stay low. Um, and they crossed through the Tijuana border in September 16th of 1989. Oh, wow. The anniversary just happened. Yeah, it did. Yeah, is that something did. that y'all celebrate or is it something that you acknowledge at all? Oh, yeah, for sure. It's something yeah. we acknowledge, especially because like there's no way to forget that day. It's Mexican Independence Day. Oh, my gosh. So, so, so it's just the, yeah, the timing of that is really wild. Yeah. It's something that we just think about for sure. I mean, something that I think about, and I can only imagine how my parents remember that day or my brothers, you know, they crossed over when they were like two and six years old. Um, they were just kids. i yeah.
And it feels like you um, grew up in the church uh, a little bit too. And that's like a lot where your music comes from. Um, not comes from, but music was also like a, a big part of your church going experience. And in the film, you say that you, growing up, you were afraid of two things, the rapture and <laughs> your family getting deported, which I thought was like, wow, those are both very big things to be scared of. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I think being made aware of it at such a yeah. young age, you know, like, um, it wasn't even really like a church-going experience. It was a participatory yeah. experience. Like my whole mom's side of the family, like their legacy is like being in the ministry. And so it was just a part of who we were. But like, yeah, growing up, especially in evangelical home, yeah. like, you know, the, <laughs> I'm, oh, like, know. I'm, I'm like, yeah. I'm six years old. Why am I afraid of being like abducted by Oh my what? gosh. Oh my god! I, I mean, I'm the same. I had like a rapture plan. I had Literal. all this stuff. Where I was like, I have to get ready. Like, <laughs> it's just so funny thinking about it now. You know, like no shade to to those and, and their wherever their beliefs stand. I don't necessarily, you know, uh, prescribe anymore to to that. But like, it definitely gave me a foundation of of just, you know, how I connect with spirituality and how I connect to my, like, practice of, like, you know, loving God, and that's through music, too, so it's all interconnected in that way, and so, yeah, what a wild, what a wild uh, fear to have at a young age, it's like, and both of them kind of are kind of, like, abduction type. (laughs) I didn't really even think about it. It was more so the fear of being abandoned, you know, not, not, not me diving into the trauma (laughs) like that, but it's really that like with the rapture, you're like, damn, am I going to go or or not? Like, am I going to be left behind? Exactly. Oh my God. That movie left behind. behind. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah, I mean, like, and but on the other side of things, it was like very much the same similar fear. Like, I'd come home one day and like, you know, fear of like coming home one day and like my family no longer being there, you oh. know. And but like, we had an emergency plan for that actually, you know. Like, you had a rapture plan. We definitely mm-hmm. had a, a deportation plan for sure. Like, wow. if, if um, and it's, that's why I knew what was happening at a too young of an age, you know, like. I'd have to call my aunt and like stay with her or like who would I be in care of? Like we were very well aware of like what could have happened. Wow. I mean, unless we're like total heathens and completely left behind, like the rapture didn't come true um, or hasn't happened yet. Um, (laughs) But your other greatest fear did happen to you. And like, what was that like? You know, like, I, my brother was, like, my best friend growing up. You know, he he was seven years older than me, but he was really the one, like, like kind of stuck with taking care of me growing up, you know? Um, like, my family isn't even from, like, Tijuana, you know? And my brother was dropped off in, in Tijuana. So it's just, it's just all the questions that come with it. It's like, oh, my God, okay, so what's going to happen now, you know, like, can't they see how this is like just literally tearing our family apart? So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's difficult to describe like how, how that all, you know, really went down. Cause it, it's so layered and it's so yeah. complex. Um, and you know, it depends on who you're asking on like how it's, it's affected their lives. Um, because I've seen so many other people, um, 
struggle through it too. It's just now that people are finally, I guess, talking about it. I, I really appreciate you and I thank you for trying to describe an indescribable nightmare that came true to you. Yeah. I mean, that that's a, yeah, it's, it's a, tr- it's a tricky one, but like, I think like, you know, something came up is just like, yeah, you don't know where people stand with that. People are very silent about it. You grew up living in the shadows and like, I remember, like, in elementary school when Schwarzenegger was running for governor. (laughs) And um, this kid in my fourth grade class was like, yeah, my dad's voting for the governor. And, like, basically went on this whole thing about how they're, like, anti-immigrant. Like, and it's like, he's telling me this. They're anti-immigration. I'm like, sir, like, look at me. I'm brown. Like, we're nine years old. What are you talking about? Like, how are you anti-immigration? And so that's just when I learned to just keep my mouth shut. You know, like, this isn't something we talk about. Um, Yeah. (laughs) You should take it. This film is a is about two daughters of immigrants, like really like working together and stuff. So that other daughter is Jax Hopped, who you ended up managing, like kind of through the pandemic, correct? Like, um, tell me a little bit about y'all's relationship uh, and and a little bit about Jack's music. Yeah, I mean, in and so just to backtrack a bit, like the the film is really a time capsule of me, like pivoting from artist management to mentorship like in in the film that was really like I didn't really necessarily know exactly what my next steps were going to be in the music industry I just knew that I still wanted to be of service and help this movement continue and so when I found Jax um, she reminded me of why I wanted to do this in the first place like I felt that gut feeling of like she's really special and deserves that support and so that was really me stepping into mentoring someone really and I I think like because of the level of like support I was giving her throughout that time period it really it it, people can assume that I was managing her but Mm -hmm. in one of the scenes you actually see me introducing her to what was like her first team and so Um, you know, this music industry is really hard. And and I think like in that like transitionary season of my life, um, I just really still felt that need to continue like helping those not feel like alone um, and how hard like this industry really is, you know. Um, But Jax is a special, you know, being an artist. And I love Texas so much and our people that come from Texas. And so her being from Dallas, um, is just, I think, you know, representative of, of just how, like, beautifully diverse, like, the, like, Latinidad is and how Latinidad is not a monolith, you know. Finding Jax reminded me of, like, the first time I came across, like, Omar Apollo's music, for example. And I was like, oh, wow, this is going to, like, it's like I have this, like, weird, like, That's So Raven type vision. Like, I just saw your cult career happen right now, you know, and it's totally possible. And so.
Well, I just wanted to like congratulate you again on this film. It's so beautiful and moving and it's really important. And I wanted to ask if you had a favorite part of the film. Um, my favorite part of the film is a thousand percent a spoiler and it's yeah. the only scene that I shot <laughs> for the film. <laughs> uh, so um, when you I see was, it. <laughs> I know what it I know what you're talking about and <laughs> weeping. I loved all the archival footage. I think that's so cool that you put that in there and it just like ties in so great. I have to say one of my favorite parts is when you and your brother are in Tijuana and he's talking about the marbled godwits. He's like, they immigrate here from Montreal every year. Yeah, they do. (laughs) But it's so funny. I'm really interested. Now I'm going to ask you a question. I I would love to know why you love that scene because so many people have expressed that. Like that they love that scene specifically. You know what it is? It's like so symbolic without y'all having to say anything about it. You know, like Mm. it's like nobody, you know how, like sometimes there's an analogy and people like over explain the analogies like too hard. Um, And it, but it's, that's not it. It's just like beautiful thing. It's first of all, it's like a beautiful shot. And it's like literally your brother just saying like those birds immigrate here from Montreal from Canada and like in the midst of you know trying to figure out this immigration thing and like figure out like who is allowed to be where these birds just like fly down and we all think it's beautiful you know Mm. I really love that you caught that that's like definitely like a theme that Isabel made sure to integrate um there's I don't know if you noticed like there's more birds and like waves that really like connect a lot of different scenes especially when you transition from the states to to mexico um yeah my brother's like always been like this like um this keeper of random knowledge (laughs) like he just knows so many things um and that's one of my favorites for sure i love that oh you're in this mentorship role you're like it feels like you're like really just like following your destiny what advice do you have for children of immigrants, for people in the music industry who might be immigrants? Like what, what advice do you have for, um, for, as you said earlier, like your people? Oh my goodness. Resilience is the name of the game. Um, I know it's, it's sometimes, you know, like when you think of that meme of like, God, like, are you sure I'm one of your strongest soldiers? <laughs> like, like, and it's going to feel like that a lot. But honestly, the only reason I'm standing where I'm at right now is because, you know, when something got me down, I let it get me down for a little bit, but I had to get back up and, and keep going. And it sounds corny and it's very coach talk, but like, for real, like, <laughs> um, you know, this industry wasn't made for us. This country obviously was not made for us. It's, you know, systemic oppression is integrated in every facet of our existence when it comes to our careers, especially. Um, but, you know, we have each other. And and as long as we, you know, hold on to each other, that's really the resilience that you'll find. Not When you can't find it within yourself, you'll find it within community. You are a very talented 
singer, but like, how did you become an like a talent artist manager? Like, how did you become <laughs> a manager, and and how did you decide like that's what I want to do? Uh, I mean, artist management. I always felt like okay, like I grew up performing and making music in order to give me the language and the tools to like advocate for artists. Like, I truly felt that, and. So when I found my way into the music industry, I was like, oh my God, I got to like Robin Hood this. Like there's so many resources and I'm the only one that looks like me in these buildings. So it's now my responsibility to be the Trojan horse to get the rest of us in the music industry. And so I took that seriously. And, and so that's where I felt like, okay, this is, this is my calling then. And that's because every door was opening up for me. Like I had been working so hard for so long that finally things, when things click, you know, it's like, it isn't luck. It's like where hard work and opportunity meet, right? And so um, that's just what ended up unfolding for me. And I really felt like that was my path. And, well, that artist management journey took me around the world and, and then some. And um, very, very grateful for it. But, like, everyone, like, careers, you know, take shifts. So is your career taking a shift now? Or are you done with artist management? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, oh my God, not me saying it like so relieved, but like, it's not like that. It's just, it's been over for some time. And like in the pandemic, um, you know, our industry shut down completely. And it really had me reflect on survival, right? On, on um, the lack of resources for those who are in the music industry in order to do so. Um, Not just like on like a financial level, but like, on a health level overall, like I had realized I'd been super burned out and mm-hmm. it had taken a, t- a toll on like my mental health more than I had ever anticipated or I don't think anyone really anticipates, you know, the thing that you love the most to almost kill you, you know, but, um, but I mean, I think I experienced, you know, I feel like I'm coining this now at this point, but like this pandemic induced pivot that I think a lot of us, had to deal with like in a pressure cooked way like the pandemic pressure cooked decisions in our lives and Mm -hmm. for me it was I had to like close my company I couldn't afford to Mm -hmm. to be that role anymore I couldn't on on so many different levels and so in brilliant timing I got offered a fellowship over at USC um, with the Edinburgh Innovation Lab and it was this beautiful cohort of people who you know, are dedicated to the being in the intersect of media and, and social impact. And I was like, wow, these are my people. Like, they speak my language. Like, they, you know, because when I started Miha Management, I also started a concert series to raise funds for my parents, like, you know, path to citizenship. And then it turned into this, like, national movement where we brought these shows, like, across the country. And so I unlocked this, like, passion for my people that like I found through music and so it just really brought me back to center as to like what is the point of me doing any of this what is a part of my purpose it's the music and realizing I still like as corny as it sounds like I definitely still had the music in me I just suppressed it for a long time because I didn't necessarily think that was a part of my path anymore Mm -hmm. um but you know like life happens the plot twist was I just I would I didn't even do a 180 I did like a full 360 and just came back to like my first love which was which was singing which was performing which was writing which is always just expressing the music that I had inside of me the heaven 
That was my conversation with Doris Anahi Munoz. Doris makes music under the name Doris Anahi. You can watch and hear much more of her story in the stunning documentary called Miha. It's out on Disney Plus September 23rd. That's Friday, September 23rd. And I can highly recommend this film. I feel like it is such an important story that a lot of people can relate to and few people talk about. This is Rachel Stevens for KXP's Sound and Vision. Holy moly, I love this work and love getting to have these conversations. So please rate and review this podcast because that truly helps this podcast get seen and heard. And while you're doing that, enjoy the song by Doris Nahi called Aprendiendo por las Malas. Okay.